a real family, which everyone deserves, and you deserve. We don't talk about our pasts. We don't have pasts. Our lives started when we met Charlie. You look like a Marcy May. Marcy was my grandmother's name. There you go. <laughs> oh, yes, the imitation of Christ. <laughs> Solid silver. And downcast eyes. <laughs> Hiding what? Virtue or lecture? <laughs> Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures in life bother you? No. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. back hey sarah hey mary how are you i'm good how are you i'm good recording from my brand new bedroom oh congrats on moving into your new place thank you thank you it's been uh, as i said before it's um i'm in a bit of a liminal space of between things at the moment but um settling in slowly oh my gosh uh, you're in the process of turning your living space into a cinephile's paradise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it'll get, it'll definitely get there. I'm actually, um, I've got like some fairy lights that I found in the move, and mm. they're like coloured ones because I really like coloured Christmas lights because of Eyes Wide Shut. I, I like, and so now like my room feels a bit Eyes Wide Shut. Like, in I'm I'm not actually mm. very good. I'm not very good at selecting furniture, I'm, but I'm good at lighting. And I think that that's because of my love of films. Oh, yes. Like, I'm very good at lighting a space with different colored lights. So yeah. now, yeah, I do feel a little bit spiel, um, a little bit Kubrickian. You're an ideal uh, director of photography. Yes, basically, apart from I don't have to use a camera. Um, but that <laughs> little detail aside, I'm really good at cinematographer. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm a pop cinematographer. Um, you're a pop cinematographer. Exactly. <laughs> no, I'm really glad that we're both on brand as being you yourself being a pop forensic psychologist mm -hmm. and a pop psychoanalyst. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, no need for us to get any more qualified than we are because no. it works just fine. <laughs> No, and you know what? It's it's as you said, and I, I you know, it's worth uh, repeating here. Uh, it's so nice to be able to give yourself promotion a promotion on these platforms. Yeah, so good. You just update your Instagram bio, boom, you're a different thing. <laughs> yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, I'm just trying to work out how to like uh, work in my tarot reading skills into all the things that I do. Um. <laughs> oh, I really want to figure that out too. Um, yeah. Um, I was just about to say, do you know that people didn't understand that Instagram bio update? Like everyone mis misconstrued it. Oh, okay. It didn't work at all. Like everyone thought that I was like, like a, 
as like a psychologist of pop culture and I was like no that's uh, not what it says at all no. so and then I like I was talking to um uh, a friend and like he was mentioning a musician I can't remember who it was because I just don't follow music at all I don't know Jason Derulo is that a person oh, yeah. is that a thing yeah and I was like yeah. who's Jason Derulo and he was like how can you clear yourself a, a, pop, a pop culture psychologist that I was like I didn't like <laughs> <laughs> I call myself a, for- a forensic pop psychologist it's different it's totally different yeah. oh my god like hello basic semiotics 101 like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear yeah, I'm just waiting for the American psych- uh, what is it? The American Psychoanalytics uh, Association or whatever you know, whatever like major bodies to to read my bio and come at me, you know, <laughs> demand to see my paperwork. I'm I'm sure I can figure out how to do it like in PDF or something, you know, create my own certificate. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure we can find <laughs> you on somewhere. I'm sure we can download one off the internet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um what else what else um I feel like I've lost track where we are in the lockdown as um, well like, I've lost track where we are in the series on cults <laughs> I don't know I don't know what episode we're on I've just got so deep into cults so we're on I'll tell you right now we're on episode and, uh, we're on episode four brainwashing Woo, brainwashing episode four Woo-hoo. that means we've got two more to go after this yeah, I can't believe how fast this is going. Like, we're already past the midway point. Yeah, we should start getting people to vote on the next series. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to be talking today about The Master and um, Going yeah. Clear, which is the Scientology documentary, um, which are yeah. in some ways about the same thing, but in other ways not at all. Yeah, um, I, I have to say, this is the episode that I've been most nervous about because... I I live in fear of Scientology. Like I'm so scared of, you know, saying the saying the thing that angers them, and then they start like following me and stuff like that. So I just want to put it out there that I have no hate in my heart for Scientologists. Mm. Um, you know, like I I don't judge anyone. Um, <laughs> I think I think maybe watching that documentary Growing Clear made me a little bit paranoid about like the lengths that some people go to um wow and that never actually occurred to me that we could be putting our lives in danger <laughs> doing this podcast. um but now it's too late so now it's too late I mean the thing is like ultimately what I would say is um you know like we're we're here we're just kind of talking very theoretically about things mm-hmm. um and it's you know I like to think of the idea of a cult as not just some, you know, very kind of isolated, extreme example of what can happen. You know, I I truly believe that the impulses that can be found and tendencies that can be found in a cult are so pervasive. Like they're they're happening all around us. You don't have to be in a cult to experience those feelings and those impulses Mm -hmm. so that's why I say I'm I'm, like in all seriousness I'm not sitting in judgment of Scientology like um they're a little bit eccentric you know um I will say that um I have actually I just remembered something that um a mutual friend of ours um I don't know whether I should name the person but she told me that one time she went on this (laughs) 
day trip with her husband and Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise when they were still married. Oh my god. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Say um, it and then beep it. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said that um because like I think because of where her husband works, there was some yeah. professional tie with um, a, a movie that Tom Cruise was filming in the UK at the time. It might have even been more Eyes Wide Shut, actually, now that I think of it. But anyway, the long story short is that they arranged to go go-karting, but before they could actually go on this activity, um, Scientologists um, screened our mutual friend and her husband, and they were put through like various vetting procedures i don't know what they those were and um and then they were declared to be like a not a suppressant person oh my god yeah so they were so they were okayed they were okayed and then they were allowed to go on this activity go karting and stuff like that and nothing was ever talked about like that vetting thing it was not discussed scientology was not discussed nothing like that was discussed on the day but in a way, I was almost thinking, like, that is actually quite a nice service to provide someone. Like, like I, you know, I, maybe I wouldn't be an introvert if I could go on activities and have some, like, you know, bureau or something that the, the, the potential person that I'm about to go out with. And if they're toxic, like, I need to know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I mean, I don't think they're actually, I don't think they're vetting for the things that you would want to be vetted, people to be vetted for. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think also all celebrities have that. Like, I don't think yeah. celebrities are allowed to hang out with people who haven't been like background checked. That's just, right. You know, for practical reasons. So, and actually, I have to say, I mean, I judge Scientology, but um, like, there's there's kind of concrete stuff, and then there's like more kind of insidious psychological yeah. stuff. And I don't judge them for the insidious psychological stuff because I think that's stuff that can happen in any group. Absolutely. Um, I judge avoiding tax and yeah. um, like, uh, you know, th- like committing crimes and yeah. like stalking people and stuff like that. But I don't, you know, I think that I think that the thing that came out of both of these films is just how how you see these dynamics in, in things like families or yeah. businesses or family businesses, actually, <laughs> I thought of. Um, yeah. you know I just think um, the Sopranos <laughs> Sopranos like the Trumps yes you know I think there are ringleaders in all sorts of groups I think there are ringleaders in families like yeah. you know there are people there are sort of individuals um, who everyone else has to like respond to and change their behavior accordingly um, but you know fit around and I think that those those these kind of documentaries and films they just expose those kind of group dynamics yeah I think you're absolutely right um so yeah I judge I like I judge an organization that is you know is a pyramid scheme and is charging people huge amounts of money to you know have access to knowledge that it turns out they don't really want I judge any organization or even individual whose like sole purpose in life is joy because I think that's stupid wow. yeah, um, and unrealistic and is not, it's not, and it's so kind of reductive of the, um, I've been using this phrase a lot this week, rich tapestry of life. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's a good, I don't think that's a good thing to aim for because it makes you fearful of 
sadness or anxiety yeah. or failure or things that are really important to you as a person and that you shouldn't try and avoid. Um, oh, beautiful. So yeah, like all of those things. But I don't, you know, I I think that that things can go wrong. Things can be dysfunctional in any group of people. And I don't yeah. think that's, I don't think that that is something specific to Scientology at all. And that is maybe my criticism of the, of the sort of the idea that like this narrative of these things go wrong in a cult and they don't go wrong elsewhere. And it's like those exact same things go, go wrong in all sorts of situations. Yeah. People behave like that all the time in, you know, in like to their families, to their children, to their, their partners, to their co-workers, to their friends. Um, it's just this is just what happens in groups oh my gosh I, I, we could easily just end the pod right here because yeah, I feel sorry. Like you, just, <laughs> you just absolutely nailed it like I feel like that is uh, that is beyond perfect what you said oh I thank you nothing, you can move it to, to the end <laughs> <laughs> I'll just yeah I'll just like extend the the, the the running time of the pod by just like slowing down the pace <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'll go, I'll start dinner. <laughs> no, honestly, like you, in all seriousness, like that, you nailed it. You're absolutely right. I think that's what angers me as well about the focusing inordinately on Scientology and just pointing the finger and saying, look at those crazy freaks in Scientology. Look what they're doing. And it's like, that's just an isolated example. And, mm. and it goes for all other cults as well. You know, whatever the cult's name is, it doesn't matter. It's almost like incidental. It's, yeah, we, we take some kind of reassurance and comfort and solace in being able to like stand back and point externally and say they're at fault. You know, they've got it wrong. They're dysfunctional. They're toxic. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, yeah, of course, they may have some outlandish ideas and there may be abuse going on, but we are not magically immune to being like, like we, we're, we are also capable of committing those atrocities. It's just that those things are so like neatly outlined in a case example and making it convenient for us to stand back and like say, look at those other people. Mm -hmm. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it's more interesting to like examine theoretically the dynamics that take place inside a group and the different d discourses that develop that then facilitate that kind of behavior. Do you, can you share some of them <laughs> with us? It's funny you should you should ask. That. I just <laughs> happen to have right here. <laughs> um, how convenient! I happen to have right here. So this is this is actually pretty simple stuff, it's bare bones stuff. I'm going to talk about. We could easily like do a deep dive on this, but maybe it's better. It's best laid out for another like series because mm -hmm. this could be a whole series onto itself. But just for the purpose of today's episode, just top line stuff. I, th I think the, the most interesting theory that matches a discussion on brainwashing is um, Jacques Lacan's um, Four Discourses. So um, the famous Four Discourses, that's the, ma the, the, discour the discourse of the master, funnily enough. Mm. <laughs> um, the discourse of the university, discourse of the hysteric, and discourse of the analyst. So interesting. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, so he basically came out with these different, like, I guess, ways of articulating power relations and how they differ. And I believe he was very um, 
I guess, influenced by the events of like happening in France, especially during May 1968 with like the students revolt and, you know, mm-hmm. um, les événements as they're called. And I think that he um, was kind of interested in seeing discursively um, how various factions of society relate to each other. And, um, and he came up with these. And in a way, he actually really angered a lot of university students because he wasn't fully coming out as an advocate for them, which I think people expected him to mm-hmm. um, because he was like a cultural critic, uh, ultimately. But so I'll just like um, break down what these different discourses are. So the first one is master. And this is the type of language and discourse that is unapologetically hierarchical. Like it is absolutely like it wants to maintain that pyramid scheme, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's the perfect uh, discourse of like a cult leader, really, because someone who um, has the impulse to be a cult leader will have to be very narcissistic, very sure of themselves, very charismatic and a kind of fevered ego longing to be admired and be followed, you know? Um, I don't know why I'm exclusively thinking of like the Leo sign and the Zodiac, like like that kind of thing, you know, like wanting to be like the king of the jungle kind of thing. Um, But also like subjugating um, all other positions, all other discourses as, you know, um, to their own rule as almost like a paternalistic function, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of, it seems all powerful, but it's actually like quite, it's quite fragile, you know? Yeah. Um, and the way that people say that like the patriarchy is fragile in that same way, you know, it's actually very um, self-conscious and it's really an, um, a superiority complex masking an inferiority complex. You know, they would only feel, com- um, they would only feel compelled to behave this way because they feel they have such a strong lack. If they were fully, if they felt fully empowered, they wouldn't need to have a cult, you know, to start a cult. Yeah. And I guess like the resources that they depend on of like admiration um, are kind of resources that get depleted and that can't, that are kind of unsustainable. Exactly. Yeah. There's their kind of lies, the fragility. Absolutely. Yeah. Like they know, they kind of unconsciously know that, Mm. which, which further propels them to like insist that they are the master. And it's amazing because in the film, the master, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman's character, he almost exclusively is referred to as master, Mm -hmm. you know, it's only at one point where they, someone mentions his name and it's like, who's that? You know. Um, so the, 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 the discourse of the university moving on is the discourse of knowledge. So this is where Lacan got into a bit of hot water with students because he actually argued that far from autonomous, the discourse of the university actually serves as a function of the master, that um, it is a kind of knowledge base that is not terribly critical of what the established um, rhetoric is about Mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of another way of saying that um the the content that's produced by established factions of society like the university and the mainstream media ultimately they kind of uphold the state 
the state's message. You know, they don't go too far afield. They're not that alternative. They're all kind of working hand in glove. And there's nothing controversial about that. We just have to look at the way things run to see that it is systemic. Mm-hmm. So as, as much as basically like I was saying to the students, like as much as you think that you're being so rebellious and you, you're trying to like bring about radical change in society, if you're doing it from within the order of the establishment and the university, you end up like paradoxically just upholding the discourse of the master. You're still just in that master slave dynamic mm-hmm. and it's tragic, you know, he's basically telling them to step outside that box. So in the third, the third discourse is the discourse of the hysteric. Now this is the most interesting one. And I'd like to think that you and me, Sarah, were in this category. Um, <laughs> la- la- <laughs> It sounds kind of like pejorative, like, what are you calling me hysterical? But actually, Lacan said that this is the most valuable and um, position and has the most heuristic value because the discourse of the hysteric is the one that is constantly challenging the master. It's constantly rebelling against the master discourse. It's very subversive and it, it's quite revolutionary. Mm-hmm. And the, the the hysteric position is not only speaking with words, but they are speaking with their symptoms. So they're speaking bodily as well as verbally. Um, And within a hysteric domain, the master's um, dominant discourse is not total and it is not encompassing. It actually encounters resistance. So this is true for when, when Freud was developing his theories around psychoanalysis, a lot of the ideas that he was having when, when he was kind of like brainstorming and testing ideas out, he was doing that with his female patients. Whoa. A lot of them were, a lot of them were being diagnosed with hysteria. So they were very, um, they were very challenging characters. They wouldn't just readily accept everything Freud was saying. If, if, if he, if they felt that he was out of line, they'd say it. And sometimes they would walk out. Mm-hmm. And so it kept him on his toes it kept him sharp and able to produce better and, and more robust signifiers to capture their experience. And that's how psychoanalysis really developed. So the idea is that you want to you wanna make sure that you never eradicate the hysteric discourse because it's the thing that is constantly challenging and is like critical and questioning, you know? And then the analyst discourse is the one that mediates between the hysteric and the master discourses. Um, so all of this to say uh, that I think that it's really important when we're looking at any type of organizational structure, especially with cults that are like, there's such pyramid schemes and you can kind of easily see the hierarchy and who calls themselves the leader and who's being challenging, who's being a suppressant, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the how actually like dialectically these things are connected and what underlying forces are at work that kind of constantly um i don't know just serve to like trouble the master in a way yeah that's really interesting it's Mm. um that hysteric one makes me uneasy because it seems like the person that is using that kind of discourse has very little power but is like of a lot of use to other people Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. So it's almost as if like their energy can be co-opted. Yeah, that is. I mean, yeah, you could easily read it that way. And I think that's a really valid concern and certainly a valid like reading of it. Yeah, it it could easily fall into the trap of the kind of like artist muse Mm. dynamic where 
the muse is kind of just being like kind of used yeah blood dry yeah yeah exactly yeah maybe it's better to think of it as not necessarily like an individual person who's vulnerable and who's like resisting forces of oppression but rather um a disposition yes yeah Yeah. so like maybe we all kind of have the ability to have all of those discourses yeah exactly that's more the that's more the argument that these are all impulses and compulsions that kind of almost lay dormant within everyone and it it's more a question of being aware of what can be agitated it seems like so many people would rather have like to sort of be able to simplify that to like one type of discourse in which that is right and has nothing kind of struggling against anything else and I suppose that's why people sometimes (laughs) choose to be in cults because they want to be told that there's one that there's like one overarching right I suppose and that there's no need for kind of like a different critical voice because they know that like yeah because they know what's right or what's true and there's no need to think about anything else or the like there's no need for chaos or for disorder or for Mm -hmm. conflict um yeah I mean actually what you've just said there is absolutely essential and it's so vital because the thing about cults is that they they tend to spring up in response to a dominant narrative so Mm. it's um, as if they're like they're they, they spring up and they're like oh my god look at you know the, the new world order or this or the government or whatever it is whatever it may be um they've got it wrong and we've got a solution and here it is it's like they're presenting this other uh, alternative narrative mm-hmm. so, but 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 really like if you closely examine the various types of discourses that will naturally creep up in any organization ultimately the cult only pretends to question and criticize the dominant order. But because of the various layers of discourses that will invariably um, come to light, ultimately it will just be firmly in cahoots with the establishment because its only non-negotiable goal is maximum investment and maximum you know following at any cost just like mm-hmm. the establishment that's um that's so interesting because I was it kind of just reminded me of um years ago I was looking at um aloneness as a theme like I oh, was yeah. um I was curating an exhibition and I yeah. was thinking and I was feeling very much like I wanted to live on my own and I wanted to have kind of Walden level aloneness I wanted to go and like write in a cabin and uh, I was talking about that fantasy to someone and she said, yeah, but when you get there, who will you invite? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so funny and exactly mm-hmm. true because, and it kind of pointed to the fact that my desire wasn't for aloneness or separateness. It was to start again in complete control. Oh, wow. Um, and so they, the, 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 like the claim of the claim was I want to be alone, but the, it was untrue. Like what I wanted was to to be in charge. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, and uh, that's kind of it. Just reminded me of from what you said about cults. There, like the claim is we want something different, but the truth is we want the same thing, but just to be in a different position in it. Exactly. Mm. That is so perfectly said. Yeah, exactly. 
it's just to feel like it's almost just a kind of um, reassuring uh, reordering of the power dynamics, but it's just temporary because in the end they end up just replicating the the kind of hierarchies that exist exactly in the place that they're criticizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like it's, it, I think ultimately it's like it's like when we were watching the master. And going back to what you said earlier, all this is good life advice anyway for for anyone. I wish someone had told me this years ago. Be wary of anyone claiming to claiming that they've like figured everything out and they're like happy and at peace. Mm. And be wary of the things they tell you that they did to achieve that, because chances are they're trying to convince themselves, not you. Yes, there's so much of that in the master um, <laughs> of people trying to convince them, other, like others of something that they're having trouble with I think Mm -hmm. there's like there's whole scenes devoted to it um which is so interesting I think maybe let's start talking about the master yeah let's do it yeah um okay so I'm gonna synopsize Mm -hmm. um Freddie Quell is a war veteran struggling to adapt to peacetime society and leaning on his dependence on homemade moonshine losing his job as a department store photographer because of his erratic and violent behavior he works on a farm but has to flee when a batch of his hooch kills an elderly colleague when he stows away on a luxurious yacht, he meets a family. He meets the family and followers of Lancaster Dodd, a fictional stand-in for Scientologist L. Ron Hubbard. Mm. Dodd invites him to attend his daughter's wedding and join his movement known as the Cause. Um, okay, so this is—is is, is this Paul Thomas Anderson? It is Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, yeah. two thousand and twelve. Okay, right, right. Because um, I saw this years ago, and then I rewatched it for this um, for prepping for this episode. And I have to say, like, every time Joaquin Phoenix laughed, I was like, it's Arthur Fleck laughing. He's so, you know, I was, I actually, we did a Zodiac event yesterday. Uh-huh. And um, I was saying, oh, I've just been watching The Master. Because um, we were sort of on camera and people were chatting as we were, before we were watching the film together. Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, I was just watching The Master. It was a bit, I'm a bit, it was a bit of an ordeal. And someone, we were sort of, and I was talking to it with, about it with a few people, and someone said, Joaquin Phoenix has no range. Like, and I was like, <laughs> ooh, hot take. And then I was like, Joaquin Phoenix has range. He can be good looking or not good looking. <laughs> <laughs> and this is definitely one of his not good looking um, yeah. films. <laughs> he yeah. definitely is very off putting in this film, like, wonderfully off putting. Terribly, um, t- terrible posture. Terrible posture. Like, I don't know. It's really, it's really tough to watch this film because it kind of seems impossible that one person can have so many problems, yeah. Like, and be so, in so much pain. Um, to the extent that I feel like he's not even a real person. He's just like, yeah. he's like a pathology. Yeah, he's like he is. He's like a pathology or like some kind of like sponge that's, that's supposed to like absorb. You know, when you have like they say, if you take too much like coke or if you have take like poison, yeah. and or and may and like in some cases you go to the hospital, they make you drink charcoal. Oh yeah. Um, and the charcoal is supposed to absorb all of the poison or the drugs or whatever it is you took that's like not fatal but is doing you know is making you like unwell or um feel like anxious and then like at the end the poison i mean the charcoal absorbs it all and then it comes out of you it's like joaquin phoenix is that charcoal oh my god Um, yeah and he's like yeah and he's just seems to have absorbed everything bad and he's just like a piece of charcoal like everything bad like sticks to him 
that actually makes sense because he's he's often there with his Bunsen burners and like cooking some kind of concoction with paint thinner and stuff like that. Yeah. These weird chem- chemical um, components that I don't know if it's moonshine. I don't know what the hell it's supposed to be, but um, but other people drink it, and certainly the the master likes it. Yeah, but yeah. but it also like kills people because yes. it's so like toxic yeah um but he seems to be able to just absorb it and it's like he's like drinking it like freely you know as he's making it and sometimes it just seems like he's drinking like engine oil or paint thinner or something without even having gone through a process of whatever (laughs) to turn it into whatever he's making so he doesn't seem human and there's a lot of things there's a lot of kind of signifiers in this film that that these people aren't real people Mm-hmm. they're just like elements of each other or something like that like um, very allegor- allegorical yeah I think Amy Adams character is very is like very allegorical like she's yeah. just this like sort of grotesque amalgamation of like a woman and a mother like a, a, yeah. a, a wife and a mother or like a girlfriend and a mother like mm-hmm. even like her like sex scenes are like weirdly coddling and mothery yes. like um, and she's always pre- she's like constantly pregnant Um, and but then also like naked sometimes it's just like it's a weird like idea of someone that doesn't hasn't she's just like a someone's she's kind of like this almost like primal scene of of a woman of like what like little kids think a woman is wow uh, when they're kind of becoming sexual like it's I don't know there's something really strange about everyone in this film and that's why it can't just be about Scientology it seems to be it's such a confusing film to me because is it about masculinity is it about war is it about families is it about acting (laughs) like it's about so many things yeah you're right I mean um you have to say you're really giving me a new appreciation for this film Sarah because I really struggle with this film Mm. like I want to love it because um it's the the cast is absolutely like inspired it's a brilliant cast and I do love this director as well but I just find viewing it so frustrating and I think the way you've articulated it it's I'm starting to understand why because you're right like Joaquin Phoenix he's he's just it's like he's um you know what it is it's like he's if you take like Arthur Fleck, for example, like bad things happen to him as well in Joker, mm-hmm. but, but he really does, he's not very resilient and he has to transform into something else in order to like continue living. Otherwise he'll just kill himself. Yeah. Whereas, whereas um, this guy, Freddie in the master, he doesn't need to transform because he is like, so he just is so resilient. Yeah. Like l- he is, he he literally can go through any trauma and somehow survive. Yeah, but, but, he but he's of... not thriving. He's just surviving. He's just like living. Yeah, basically, yes. He's just like this kind of shadowy figure who yeah. um, who can't like grow or develop or. Yeah. And I guess I don't know. I think it really. It, I find this film really frustrating as well. Like I don't enjoy yeah. it at all. Um, I actually saw it for the first time this year. My boyfriend showed it to me um, okay. because he finds it really interesting in its depiction of masculinity. Mm-hmm. I think, and that's kind of what he finds interesting in a lot of films. Um, 
ran. So I watched, I basically watched this film twice in the year, this time and a few months ago. Mm. Um, and both times I found it exhausting and an ordeal to watch and upsetting because I just felt that just, I just, it gets to me how much of an addict his character is. He can't seem, yeah, he can't seem to grow up or change. And mm. the bit where he's saying, he wants to marry this girl, but he just never, he was like, I'll go back and marry her someday. Really upset me because it's like, you you won't because you like you just want to be this broken person. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like the fight club thing of the, someone oh. who's not willing to, who's not willing to, yeah, exactly. Like it's a lie. It's again, it's a lie that people say, you know, I want to get married. Like mm-hmm. if you don't want to get married, you want to be, you want another drink like you know it's the same it's the same process and it really it gets to me as you know I really can't I find it very very difficult to watch addicts on film yeah yeah um but I did find have a new like a renewed um I, I found I found it more enjoyable watching it the second time around because I suppose because um I liked all of that stuff that was like all of those amazing I think I really like the bit when he's taking photographs in the in the department store yeah and like all of those people really do have faces from the 1950s like (laughs) like it's amazing like it's just this beautiful like it's it's a really beautiful moment um but they're all kind of like families and people that have got like they're like you know triplets or like siblings or boyfriends and girlfriends like they're sort of like a promise of, of like an american family that this kind of thing that is promised that was promised to soldiers when they came back and I think it's kind of about a little bit about discovering that like no one's family is is that promise hmm. a little bit and about um you know because and he's there's so much about families like he says in his session with um the master that he had sex with his aunt yeah and he's always like he makes that sand figure of a woman and it keeps coming back to that sand figure um and it's really strange because it seems like a really sexual thing but actually he just like curls up next to it Mm. um and then you have this strange I just think I paid so much more attention to the strange family and the way that families can be run just like cults with one person with one person getting what they need at everyone else's expense um so like the wedding scene it's all about it's all about the father it's all about him it's like his party but it's his daughter's wedding. It shouldn't be about him, but it's entirely about him and his movement. Um, oh. And he says, like, you know, he's like, before the cause, marriage was awful. And now it's, like, this wonderful thing. And that's yeah. just, it's, like, patently ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and, like, you know, the way that Amy Adams says, you know, he, when he's on the, when he's, we're at sea, he has time to, think properly and to write and when he's and when he's on land you know he's he gets he's I can't remember what word she uses but basically that he kind of has enemies and people are criticizing him yeah and greedy greedy people and ex-wives ex-wives and I was and it's like you this isn't I don't know this is just your own psychodrama this isn't about like this isn't about a cult this is just about what you what kind of what everyone like brainwashes themselves in this film mm-hmm. you know this idea like she has to have make enemies of his ex-wives mm-hmm. and the um the 
Freddy has to make an enemy of anyone that criticizes this belief system that he actually has no understanding of whatsoever. No. And it's kind of everyone kind of attacks outwards in this film because they don't um they don't and it's all kind of they all kind of project their own lack of belief onto other people. So with the with Amy Adams it's ex-wives that are the problem. And with Freddie, it's, you know, non-believers that are like a sort of stand-in that he's kind of attacking his own lack of belief. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene at the dinner table when they're all saying, you have to get rid of Freddie. He's, yeah. you know, he, the daughter's like, I think he's in love with me. And yeah, yeah. it's just this total projection and the opposite of what the case is. Yeah. Um, so I, do, I don't know, I think I found it really, the second time around, I just found it a really interesting portrait of a family. And the kind of the sort of mental gymnastics people are doing to kind of keep their place. And it's not about believing, it's just about having somewhere to go. Oh, definitely. I think you're right. I think that somehow this, the kind of, um, you know, the various people and individuals coalescing together in the form of a family Mm. naturally demands that they fulfill certain functions. And that, you know, ideally it's like, well, for it to, for it to not be dysfunctional, there was, should ha- there should be enough self-awareness so that people are not constantly projecting their neuroses onto each other. But let's face it, that's kind of like probably never going to happen in any group. That's just um, people just do it unconsciously. Yeah. In this particular setup where um, this kind of very patriarchal father is looked upon as a cult leader. Um, I think that he has to behave the way he does, subjugating all positions to the rule of him being their father, because that's the only way that he can have meaning about his role in the family. And I think that the character of Freddie is, I wouldn't necessarily say he's purely like a hysteric, um, because he do, we do see him often like going to bat for the master, mm-hmm. but he doesn't fully, maybe because he is, I don't know if he's just simple minded. I, I can't quite figure out this character. Does he have PTSD? Is he dissociating? Is he, is he, is he shell shocked or is he just a bit, is he just a bit glib? I don't know. I really don't know. He is really a mystery, but, I think that because he doesn't fully perform his role in this family in this kind of ideal way that the master would want, he's not this kind of obedient, perfect subject. Mm. He becomes kind of intriguing. And from that perspective, he's a hysteric because he's constantly challenging um, various things. You know, yeah. he, he he's he's not fully under the thumb of the master, you know, for whatever reason. He, the master cannot maintain a dominant discourse and be total and encompassing over Freddy. Like all, for, for, for some like unknown reason there there he encounters some resistance. And so this is what becomes in, in this way, the subject of Freddy becomes fascinating for the master because he's the one that gets away, you know? Yeah. And so, and so the other family members end up like rallying together as you, as you rightly like noted in that example of the dinner where they all like take turns naming the reasons why Freddie is not dedicated to the cause. 
um, Freddie is not dedicated. We don't know why. And he tries to belong in some way, but ultimately there, there's not a full integration and this is frustrating and yet it becomes an object of fascination. Yeah, that's exactly, that is exactly it. He is really fascinating. And I think, um, I mean, I think, I guess it is supposed to be that yeah. he is shell-shocked and maybe you can't really. Yeah. I mean, I kind of found it like a bit of an empowering message a little bit because I think that as much as there are lots of people in cults and there are lots of people yeah. who get brainwashed, I don't think you can ever really fully brainwash anybody. And I think that then yeah. because people... I don't know. I think just because people do have their own individual, you know, individuality and things that are everyone's kind of high purpose is to like yeah. survive. And everyone survives in these like very it like mentally in these very kind of unique and different ways. Um, so just yeah. because people are kind of joining a group doesn't necessarily mean that they're brainwashed. I think it sort of means that there are a mirror there are sort of myriad different way different reasons for being there like you know that his family doesn't really like you know you know that his son doesn't really believe in him but he's still there um and you know that freddie doesn't really believe but he's still kind of willing to yeah to sort of defend this this like belief that he can't make head or tail out of um that's right oh wow that is so true but yeah he is he is kind of uh, like in a way kind of unbrainwashable because he's so (laughs) he's like whatever his kind of like inner truth is it's hiding so so deep down because he's got other stuff to kind of repress yes exactly I suppose and I found that the the things between the two films there were a lot of kind of themes that I found that were really interesting and I do Mm -hmm. think I mean when I watch The Master sometimes I think about masculinity and the problems that you know society has found itself with different elements of masculinity you know, over the last hundred years and whether those problems are not about masculinity, whether they're just about generations and generations of trauma. Mm, Um, And I think there are things that are mentioned in this film and there are things that are are also mentioned in Going Clear and there are things like war comes up a lot in both both films Mm -hmm. Um, and like a sort of ambivalence towards war um, Mm. because that is what shell shock is, like kind of people have a terrible time at war but then they can't get on with life not at war yeah um they can't get on with life not being in a state of emergency yeah um and it's the same you know when we talk about going clear you know they the one of the first things that john travolta says in the film is um you know can you imagine us they want to imagine a society without war and then by the end of the film they're going to war with, with the irs um and uh, I think also, like, I'm really interested in the theme of water mm, between yeah. both things. Like in the in the master, there's it, you know, begins and ends, and there's numerous shots of kind of like rushing water being at sea, which really did make me just think of the word brainwashing. Oh yeah, um, just like this, and then like, but Scientology has that too. It has this yeah. like everyone's dressed like a sailor. The sea orgs. The sea orgs. And I, yeah. I don't know, I was kind of wondering what you thought of that, that symbol is what, what oh, water no. means. And I, I think it kind of means people like hiding things from themselves. Yeah, I do as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the, just the symbolism of a boat on water is all is so fascinating to me because it's like um, it reminds me of the iceberg model of the mind because um, there's this whole idea in psychoanalysis that you know you're you're kind of you see the tip of the iceberg and it's easy to convince yourself that that's your whole mind like mm-hmm. your whole but it's really only your conscious mind that is observable on the surface below is actually the biggest structure of the iceberg which is the body that you don't see yeah and, and that's your unconscious and Scientology certainly and uh, in the master with all that like you said all these visual cues of um, people navigating the waters and the oceans and like sailing and stuff like that um, yeah I do think it is as, as you said about people hiding things because it's it's about really people desperately trying to con- convince themselves that they can contend with what's on the surface, but never, but not truly being at peace with the ungovernable p- part of themselves that they can never truly know. Mm-hmm. You see, this is this is the thing. Like the the boat is always floating on the on the, on the surface, and it's like okay it's good to have knowledge about that and it's good to have like basic psychological knowledge about the mind the conscious mind but it takes a different type of like readiness and courage to come to terms with that vast ocean of your soul that is deep and dark like the abyss and you have no idea what's going on in there you know and like being ready to say that you you stand before this void unprepared that's kind of harrowing it's kind of scary and these cults are just kind of i think extended defense mechanisms to try and like overcompensate for how little they really know like sometimes i really wondered whether this film even had a script because like because some of the lines just seemed like he was just making them up as he was going going along you know yeah and maybe maybe that was intended but it all seemed like he was just bullshitting all the time I think and it, when he... I think that was how they made it yeah all oh, right okay um and I think that it's and I think the other thing is that the part of the reason why it's got it seems to have so many themes is I think it's multiple scripts kind of sewn together um a a human centipede of scripts if you will like (laughs) it's oh my god a a frankenstein's monster of scripts like (laughs) um and ideas so and i think that is why people think it's about acting um or about like what a director puts you know puts you through um in like it like basically kind of in trying to sort of take chaos out of the mind and make it a, 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 a sort of understandable thing Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is kind of how they and also I think I was watching a version without where there were no closed captions and half mm-hmm. the time I couldn't even hear what people were saying like Joaquin Phoenix is it's really hard to understand what he's yeah. saying he mumbles a lot he mumbles all the time so I didn't catch half of the stuff in the film so I think that's the other thing it's hard to listen to wow so so different scripts phantom threaded together phantom <laughs> threaded together yeah so I think this is supposed it's not like even though there is this sort of kind of loose thing running through it about Elrond Hubbard it's mm. a, yeah there's there's a lot of things driven together and I think it's that's maybe I think that yeah maybe that is just like how he how he sort of symbolizes the chaos of of that thing of, of yeah. trying to hide from yourself how much you don't know 
Yeah, yeah. And I think actually it works really well then in that way because, um, yeah, because I guess the impulse to brainwash other people and get them to like buy into your ideology has to come from a place where you're really trying to convince yourself. Mm-hmm. And you always have to kind of be ready to adapt and jostle around your narrative so that it fits any given moment, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, there was a great scene with Laura Dern where she's like this devoted follower. And upon the publication of the second book, she comes and like asks about like a word. Yeah. Uh, like how um that she had a problem with the word imagine and she and she basically i think she rightfully was making a criticism like oh if you insert this other word it completely like throws into question everything you said before and he got really mad because he clearly had not given it give it in any thought you know like he's he tried to like mansplain it but it wasn't working because she kept coming back with like solid debate and argument and yeah. he, he just lost his cool and like flipped out um, but that is, I think that is actually the essential characteristic of the brainwasher because they are desperate to try and believe it themselves. And in order to do that, they have to constantly like think on their feet and reiterate, you know, rejig things so that it fits any given scenario. That's so interesting because it, it kind of shows the way in which a brainwasher, what is the word, sabotages themselves. Because, um, you know, brainwashing depends on a lack of, on everything staying the same. Yeah. um, On, like, things staying consistent. But, like, uh, that's kind of not the human condition. The human condition is that you change your ideas and beliefs. So um, that's kind of how things, how things break down when, you know, when, like, someone, when someone's basically, like, come up with this sort of, way of life where everyone has to do the same thing all the time mm. and then they, they they're like they'll change I don't know I'm not really sure what I'm saying but like they'll change they'll change their minds as well and that's what you oh get God. in going clear you know that we should I think we should move on to going clear because I think we're actually Sarah like you just made me remember what I was going to say and it's literally the same thing it echoes what you just said which is brainwashing involves or necessitates um being infallible because mm-hmm. you have to be infallible to, to believe these rigid things because that's your that's like your lifeline your 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 whole sense of yourself is barely like floating on top of this massive ocean and you're like desperate not to drown and you're holding on to these beliefs for dear life they can't go changing on you mm-hmm. but, but like, I guess they do need to but they they just will <laughs> they just will that's what that's it you're like willing them to never change and you're willing yourself to be infallible especially in the, in the position of the master signifier um trying to convince other people to follow you mm-hmm. um but the tragic the tragedy as you said is that all these narratives will change shall we explore that in um yes. going clear Um, So I have a very short synopsis. Um, An HBO produced documentary, Going Clear, puts together the story, um, puts together a story of the history and secretive inner workings of the Church of Scientology with the help of ex-members. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, this is this is the thing that I was going to say from this is that you see how um, L. Ron Hubbard kind of put together the ideas of Scientology 
in response to like well actually initially wanting to join the psychological yeah world and then they kind of couldn't make head or tail of what he was saying so he put it together in response and in opposition to psychology yeah but then you see like towards the end of his life he was like asking for psychiatric help because he felt that he was unwell um so yeah he kind of put together this really rigid like opposition which you know he eventually had to kind of break because he felt that he his own methods weren't helping him with his psychi- like psychiatric problems yeah um which I know. is upsetting ain't it always the way yeah. <laughs> who is the director is it alex gibney yes you know what i have a funny story about him um so he uh directed you know that documentary about lance armstrong oh yes i haven't seen it but i know of it about like him lying, you know, about taking like uh, drugs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I went to see that documentary, the, the Lance Armstrong one at the London Film Festival a few years ago. And he was there. Um, he was there for the Q&A. And, um, and he was kind of trying to say in this documentary that like Lance Armstrong, you know, he built this gigantic lie and he was trying to like, just move ahead and protect his brand and like there was some good intentions there that he just but he ultimately felt that he was like he had special privileges and uh, that other people didn't have and that's what excused him lying Mm -hmm. in his mind so then I said in the in the Q&A I said oh um just in terms of that like do would you be willing to apply that same theory to American exceptionalism in foreign policy and how America, like, you know, it seems as if the Washington or the American state always comes up with like new wars and interventionist military aggression. And it's like the great American exceptionalism. Like they lie about other, other countries having weapons as an excuse to invade, Mm -hmm. but like, it's because they feel they're special. They, they're privileged or better than other people. So it's okay. And he did not like that. <laughs> really? That surprises yeah. me. Or maybe. I know. He was like, he's like, no, there's no grounds for comparing um, Lance Armstrong with the American, um, you know, role in international relations. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> Do you think was he defensive of Lance Armstrong in that analogy, or of the of the USA? No, he was defensive of the USA. Interesting. So he like yeah, because the film really showed like Lance's you know Lance being a hot mess. Mm. So I was just like, so I was just kind of willing him a little bit to maybe kind of extrapolate beyond like an individual to a state, but he he felt very upset about that. Oh wow. Yeah. But I mean, again, like this kind of falls under, you know, again, like ideology and how brainwa- the brainwashing capacities of that um, nationalism, etc. I mean, in in going clear, um, obviously, it's like it's a lot of the people who left the organization who are coming out and they're like, these are top ranking ranking people. I mean, I was really impressed with the people that he got. Yeah. Yeah. They were amazing. They um, were amazing. And there's that guy, Tommy Davis, who obviously he's still with the organization. But I couldn't help but think that, like, Tommy Davis was, like, 
an amalgamation of Tom Cruise and David Miscavige. <laughs> oh yeah, you're totally right. What? Who was he? Tommy David. He was. He was. A, I think he was like David Miscavige's like right hand man or something. Like he was. He was. He's pretty high ranking. What? Which was he? One of the ex members or no? No, he's still he's still there. Who was he in the documentary? So he was. Um, he came up more towards the end. Um, he's the one that went on like a couple of like news organize news um, like media segments, and people were like questioning him. You know, is there abuse in Scientology? He was like a spokesperson. Yeah, yeah, the, like with the the guy with the dark hair. And, yes, yeah, the news spokesperson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like he's kind of like a portmanteau of like the two of them. There's something very interesting going on with men in that movement, like Definitely. in the way they all kind of try and double each other. Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. Like it's kind of all like, I don't know, kind of father figureness or something. I'm not really sure what it is, but like I felt like yeah. that was actually something similar to the master as well. Like you get these kind of like in the master, all the women look the same. Like, yes. All, it looked identical to each other. And in this, in, in this film, all the men just look identical and behave identically. <laughs> Um, there's like this ideal, idealized kind of style of masculinity, and they're all copying each other. Yeah, it was really weird. And it's also weird that like when Tom Cruise is auditioning for a girlfriend, and like the lady that he was <laughs> um, interested in, um, actually she's an she's an Iranian um, American lady, mm. Nazanin Bunyadi, very beautiful. Um, but she looks so much like Katie Holmes, like, you know, like, or Penelope Cruz, you know, like kind of like slender brunette, yeah. you know? Yeah, he obviously um, had a type that he was looking for. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Nicole was, I, I, I'd like to think that Nicole is his great love. And she's the one who got away. And now he's kind of been indoctrinated by Scientology to like a particular type of woman well, that's very different to Nicole. It's the Don Draper syndrome, isn't it? Of uh, um, yeah. having like the blonde that you can't like get through to <laughs> and then or like live up to and then like all of your other lovers are brunettes um oh, wow. which I mean rude um as brunette but um <laughs> I mean I've got to say like I've got to, I, I know people love to um there, there seems to be a great deal of delight taken by people in making fun of Tom Cruise um especially on film Twitter I don't know why I mean, I genuinely adore him as an actor. I think he's one of the greatest. Um, I'll watch anything he's in. I watch any action movie, anything. He's just very watchable. Um, I can't comment on his like personal life or whatever. I, because I love him so much as a performer, I'm kind of willing to like excuse some of the things I've seen in this documentary on the grounds that like, you know, the clip they showed of like that, whatever that was, that infomercial where Tom Cruise is laughing a lot and he's talking, you know, you know, yeah. you know the bit that I'm talking about in the documentary. I mean, he objectively looks and sounds pretty crazy, but it could it just be that he was really excited. And like, you know, what if, if someone could like find the clip of me out there, if someone recorded me in a, on a particularly like giddy day, I probably sound a bit like unhinged, you know? I don't think that it's his unhingedness that people object yeah. to. It's the fact that he might be in on like systematic beatings <laughs> of like, of, you know, members of I this know. religion. Like, I don't I think... <laughs> 
you know, I don't think it's his like over. I mean, people do make fun of him, and I think that's fair enough. Like, yeah. I think that he's a guy who just who you know. It seems like they've kind of spoiled him, like literally. Like, if you think of this as a family, like they, you know, they gave they like made up some weird award to give him, and like they say that he's like converted a billion or like like you know let told a billion people about Scientology through all his work. Um. But like he's the, go- he's the golden child. He's the golden child, yeah. So, and I think that maybe he's kind of just been ruined by these people telling him that he's so amazing and that he can have an everything, and they like make a meadow for him to like run through with Nicole Kidman. Oh, um, yeah. And God. just do this is like if you do that to a kid, like you're going to get a horrible little kid, and if you do that to an adult, you're going to get a horrible little adult. Um, so I think that's more what kind of happened to him. But don't you think that he's been in less and less stuff as his commitment to Scientology has grown? he used to work a lot more in the 80s and 90s and now he hardly works at all Um, i mean he's yeah he still does the odd like action movie yeah but not Um, not loads no not not in the same volume as he used to Mm. and it's it's not due to like lack of fitness i mean the guy doesn't look like he's aged a day yeah i think that that's like the lie of those cults is the the idea you know people join it because they're like look at these people look at these high-ranking celebrities with really yeah. great careers but it's like actually the the belonging to a cult is really time consuming and they're not going to have time to do be as yeah. famous so and it's the same with that nexium one like you yeah. know that the people literally joined it like an acting workshop like i want to get more work how can i join this thing and yeah. then like the really famous ones ended up quitting their day jobs on like tv shows to spend more time being in the cult so yeah. that's like it's such a lie like it's such a pretend thing this idea that you do this thing to help your career and then you quit your career to help the thing yeah yeah um, no you're absolutely right and it's you're right i mean there's absolutely no excusing what's going on here with like an entire floor of this scientology building in la basically being a gulag yeah like a hole where people are um working ridiculous hours without compensation they're being punished um not seeing daylight like not talking to anybody i mean it's really scary and that they're all they're all there willingly basically and they're all yeah um but i think uh, the thing that i just found so interesting is like just the kind of i mean i find like the treatment the idea that you're supposed to just keep remembering things that upset you like forever ad infinitum it's very like it's very compulsive like obsessive mm-hmm. um this idea that you could like you can get everything like you can i don't know you can like be clean or or clear or whatever it is clean and clear um yeah and um but also like what do they think of themselves because there's just this like constant denial that they're doing anything yeah. Um, and they are doing those things but like they're like no it's totally false no it's not what we're doing so it's it's a strange like people that are really kind of like split in two mm-hmm. um I don't know I just find the way that they kind of function and then once people get out of there they're like they're also kind of split in two in the way that like I feel like they don't kind of face up to their own role yeah um in the whole thing um and then they kind of you know they they make like they make enemies with this church or with this yeah. cult um in the same way that the cult makes an enemy out of them oh yeah absolutely i mean there beca- there really are major 
warring factions with ex-members which is ironic if an organization's stated mission is to eliminate war and they're they're constantly like on the attack yeah with teams of lawyers you know going after people I mean it is pretty aggressive it's really aggressive and they definitely I think they definitely need to be stopped but I think that there are like two stories going on here and one is like the corruption of like an organization that's breaking the law and then the other thing is like the the like abusive behavior of individuals that have found themselves in a toxic situation and that's not really legislatable or attackable it's just something (laughs) that people need to walk away from yeah but then it's that can be substituted elsewhere like it's not it's not it's not the case that like oh you you flee this cult and now you're now you're safe in the real world you know you're you're um, you can achieve a degree of like immunity from toxic relationships. You can't like, no. you know, the potential is always there. <laughs> yeah, it is. It doesn't matter like how old you are or how much power you have or yeah. like, or how, you know, whether you're in a cult or not, you, you know, you're going to have to go through something like this. Maybe it's yeah. not going to like, maybe the your the people that put you through these, this thing are not going to have as high a budget as the Scientologists. Like yeah. They seem to like be doing some really high budget torture. Oh my god! Um, sometimes the feeling of being attacked is the feeling of being attacked. Like no matter, no matter how much like money or resources your enemy has, you know, it's the same psychic experience. I was actually thinking to myself, like when I first read about Scientology years ago. This is like back in Can- when I lived in Canada. Um, one of the first things that I heard was that they were very, very critical of um, psychiatric practices, mm-hmm. that they were like, they ha- you know, they, they had a lot of like skepticism about the way that people are diagnosed with pathologies and they want to f- make people feel more empowered in, the, in, in, in their symptoms and like try and understand it better. And I thought, well, that's a really good idea, actually, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, I, re- I remember, actually, this was back, yeah, this was it, because back in the day, I don't know if this ever reached the UK, but when I was living in Canada, this was major news. Um, so Brooke Shields, right, she had a baby, and then she then came out, she came forward and said that she suffered from postnatal depression. Yeah, I remember this, and that she'd and then, been on antidepressants. That's right. Yeah. Then she went on antidepressants. And then Tom Cruise publicly criticized her mm-hmm. and said that um, she shouldn't have done that. Um, and that really she was in the clutches of like evil psychiatrists who were taking advantage of her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And, every, you know, every accusation a confession. Yes, exactly. And then he, yeah, he was telling on himself a little bit for sure. But then he went on, um, I think, I don't, I think it was like, I want to say it was like Matt Lauer or one of these like American like morning TV shows. Mm -hmm. And he actually went on just to speak about this. Like he was that impassioned about it. He wasn't plugging anything else. He wasn't plugging any movies. He just went on to talk about this. And he said, you know, um, we have to look at what psychiatrists are doing they're like medicating people and it's become so gratuitous and it's just a simple uh, response to a complex problem and pe- pe- it's really harming people and actually a lot of the things that he was saying was were like actually pretty lucid and I thought right on you know 
I know what you mean, but like also, but what is Scientology but a simple, simple um, solution exactly. for a complex problem? And exactly. like, uh, you know, and Brooke Shields taking antidepressants so that she can like get on with being a mother is, yeah. is like nothing compared to like, you know, what the real problem is, which is, you know, pharmaceutical companies giving people like addictive painkillers and then yeah. taking them away so that they have to be on heroin. Like, you know, it's all like, there's exactly. so many, th- I mean, I think being critical of the pharmaceutical industry is a really good idea, but criticizing a, like criticizing, um, a, a new like, mother who's, yeah. yeah. Or like actually no criticizing like an entire industry because it cannot perfectly or like, it cannot dictatorially solve a really complicated problem with numerous reasons and causes yeah. is so reductive and 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 totally ridiculous like you know you can't you know it's like it's it's you know it's complex like antidepressants do cause a lot of problems but they also can avert people from committing suicide or yeah. like or you know making themselves and others miserable um, yeah. and they can they're not like an end point but no. neither is, you know, holding two, like, electrodes and saying, then, like, you know, <laughs> repeating an experience in your head every time the needle jumps, you know? Yeah. There's no, there is no, like, there is, you know, no world where you can eradicate, like, this that idea of eradic- eradicating war, eradicating psychological problems. Those things are just symptoms of other, yeah. you know, of other problems. And they're not, they're not easily dealt with, I suppose. It's that. No, you're no, you're absolutely right. Like I think it's the, the thing for me at the time where I liked that he was being so critical because it was so uh, it was so refreshing to see someone with his status and his star you know star power at the time mm-hmm. coming out and speaking out against like um, abuses in psychiatry. And I thought at the time I was like, wow, like this is this is pretty radical. You know, like what is this organization? And then of course when I found out the terrible practices and the fact that really a lot of it is just shilling for property as well like you know like billions and billions of dollars invested in like property yeah it's just it's just people taking other people's money like oh, oh, yeah. and like the the fact that you and like and also what is your like what is your world when your like primary example of abuses of psychology is your like is, is your hollywood actress friend on antidepressants yeah exactly like there exactly. are there are huge amounts of, there are you know there are huge <laughs> amounts of problems with pharmaceuticals and psychiatric the psychiatric industry and especially in america because it's all for profit yeah. but you know that's not that's not really what's going on here that's not really what you're criticizing like no. you're criticizing people not being scientologists <laughs> that's that's yeah, you know I'm, that's what you're absolutely you know. yeah. absolutely yeah i mean if um you know, if at any point I sound like I'm playing devil's advocate yeah, no. for Scientology, it's just because I want them to, you know, to 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 feel convinced that um, you know, we we um, we, we you know, we, we can be friendly. You know, no 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 need for stalkers. I don't want to look out my window and see someone in a trench coat. This episode <laughs> is brought to you by Scientology. I'm already a hermit enough. I don't need another reason. Yeah, another reason. Like. <laughs> No, I, 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 they're probably never gonna like find out because we won't put anything in the um, SEO, you know. Yeah. Um, Scientology. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I was a little bit 
skeptical going into this documentary. Having watched it, I think, yeah, I mean, did a really good job of exposing the sheer volume of abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's, it, it ultimately comes down to like all, you know, the discourses and where people feel like they belong. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when a master is powerful enough and unapo- unapologetic enough about the hierarchy and subjugating all positions to the rule of the father. I mean, that's really powerful stuff. That's hitting you right in like your Freudian chakras, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that is, you know, that's, that's got to evoke something that's really, really like irresistible. But I think that without sufficient critical thought, and without sufficient like education about how to be a th- critical thinker as well, I think that you know being brainwashed becomes more and more a possibility for like an ordinary person. I think so too, and I, I think that I think being brainwashed is a really is actually quite a natural thing to go through, yeah. and I think that we all go through it to a certain extent. Like I think about um, um, I think about like um, sort of abusive relationships and how so many people get into them at some stage in their life and that's because you know and like we've been primed to get into them because of how we have been taught about love Mm. um to a certain extent it's no one's fault it's just that um especially women I think are kind of trained to think that that is like their higher purpose yeah and that that you know a certain amount of self-sacrifice is is necessary in order to you know get into to achieve that goal and I think we're told that in lots of ways by you know kind of by the various different upbringings we have in um in Amsterdam um there's they have well maybe all of Holland but Amsterdam particularly they have like um legalized uh sex work but they have a huge problem with trafficking still um Okay. And uh, they have a name for, they have a name for men who traffic women, and it's lover boys. Um, All right, okay. And it's not they're not they don't traffic women by like shooting them full of drugs and, um, like you know banging them on the head and kidnapping them. They do it by getting into romantic relationships with them. Wow. Um, and I think it's really interesting to have like a word that like really that sort of cr- almost like criminalizes a like a sort of social problem that we have with relationships which is that like you you know you bring romance into the equation and things that are unacceptable are suddenly acceptable yeah um and I said so I don't think yeah I I don't think that I really wouldn't like this episode to seek to like blame anyone for brainwashing or for being part of a cult because I just think I think it's to a certain extent it happens naturally um, oh, yeah, for sure. And then people don't even have to, you know, I don't think even people in abusive relationships, like I think the abusers tend not to have a plan a lot of the time. Like they're just, <laughs> they're just, you know, they're doing something that they're, they're surviving as well. Yeah. You know, and I think that like while Scientology looks very organized and is to a certain extent, I also think it came out of these really organic, these really sort of organic relationships where someone assumes a a certain role and everyone else falls in line because that's just the personality and and the like predisposition of everyone there and like the nice thing about life is that you grow out of that stuff yeah and I think that can happen for everyone like those these men grew like it was mainly men the the sort of ex-members these men grew out of 
you know, this strange kind of like master, like paternalistic situation and decided they wanted something different. And Joaquin Phoenix, you know, decided he wanted to, he didn't, you know, want to sign a billion year contract or whatever it was. And people, you know, people grow up and are less susceptible to being manipulated. Yeah, I think everyone does. Everyone will eventually like. I don't think there are. I don't think there are many lifelong cult leaders or lifelong no. cult members. No, I don't think so either. Um, I just think. Um, I think you're right. I think you. I think you learn to be critical the more you're educated, and some of that education just comes from life experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. Yeah. And just kind of like seeing how things feel in various scenarios and just being exposed. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like we heard a lot of the ex-members uh, say in Going Clear, you know, they said um, they were always told not to look up stories about Scientology. And then when they started researching, they couldn't believe the stuff they learned. And it's just that thing of like coming yeah. out of the clutch of the master and kind of in a way just maybe pausing the Stockholm syndrome a little bit so that you can get a different narrative seeping through yeah and then and then suddenly suddenly your worldview changes and you you become aware of some other dimensions that you previously didn't know about and that's just that's just part of life and I think I, I yeah I like I want to echo what you said about neither of us saying that like being a cult leader an abuser or uh, you know a cult member that these positions are somehow like unchanging. They're not, they're, they're not like monoliths and you're just stuck with a badge for life. Like that's no. not how it works. It's just, it's just, I think it's just a rite of passage a lot of the times, or it's, um, or it's, it can just be a life experience or a trauma that you overcome. Yeah. Um, but, or it could just be all of it, an internal conflict within you, like different impulses battling each other, but you know, in, in combat with each other. Yeah. I think everyone's found themselves in a dysfunctional situation. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's not fixed for you. No. Even if you, even if you are the dysfunctional one. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. There's still hope for you. Yeah. Even if the problem is you. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I was on the phone to my boyfriend the other day and I was like, comparing my someone else's situation to situations that I've been in previously and I was like I was like but in those situations I was not the problem and he was like I think you should get a t-shirt with I'm not the problem written on it (laughs) that could be our merch yes I am not the problem (laughs) oh that's brilliant um that's like a nice place to like um and and on conversation on brainwashing actually yeah i think so i think it's been more rambling discussion than usual but i think that's just because it's quite it's very complex topic yeah um and very complex material to talk about but i gotta say like you really um illuminated a lot for me oh Um, i'm glad i'm glad like a lot like i i I went clear listening to you on this episode (laughs) (laughs) oh also can i just say when you said um that thing about I stand before this void unprepared. Yeah. That's my mantra for when we're about to record an episode. <laughs> that's what I'm going to start saying. Like, I stand before this void unprepared and that's okay. But also remember what Nietzsche said. He said, if you stare into the abyss, 
just be careful because the abyss will stare back into you. So if you see me staring, that's why. (laughs) We're equal partners in the abyss. Yeah, maybe we should give ourselves slightly easier films next season. (laughs) That was a fun one, though. I really enjoyed that. Me too. Um, So thank you to the people that recently donated. Um, We had some donations uh, on our birth oh no, not our birthday but like our 50th episode yay um from ian healy and anthony adler and then we had a donation from tracy haichu um yeah. last this week so thank you very much guys very very appreciated yeah thank you so much to all of you who, every person who's donated once and and all of you who've given us multiple gifts you 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 guys make this happen you know um we're able to reinvest back into the pod and bring you uh quality psychoanalytic content Mm -hmm. thank you very much (laughs) thank you and follow us on all our socials and we'll be back next time in a fortnight and we'll be discussing isolation madeline's madeline and martha marcimay marlene so excited about those films me too well have a have a good one sarah have a good one mary bye bye